My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. On today's episode of Neurotic Nourishment, I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Marion Matzo, who is basically the death expert, which sounds a lot worse than it is. In fact, it's truly inspirational. To hear Dr. Matzo tell the story, it sounds like she has always wanted to work with the elderly. And from the very early days of nursing school, she quickly noticed a difference between the ways that doctors attended to elderly declining patients and the way the nurses did. No offense, doctors. Maybe it's just because doctors intend to fix and cure, while nurses, they get to spend a lot more time, or have to spend a lot more time, comforting patients and getting to know them. Maybe that's why it seems sometimes that nurses put comfort and concern ahead of numbers and success rates. These days, Dr. Bonzo likes to call herself, quote, retired, although between you and I, dear listener, she's full of crap, but in a good way. She didn't retire. She just found a few new side hustles to keep her busy. Dr. Matzo is the host of the podcast, Every One, the Number, Dies. More about that at www.everythenumberonedies.org. It's a weekly podcast where she invites guests to come discuss all aspects of death, whether it be interviewing a pet psychic or a death doula, or just speaking honestly and openly to someone who is struggling to come to terms with their own mortality. She's also also the author of a fantastic children's book called Everyone Dies. You can find out more about that at www.everyonediesthebook.com. It's literally a children's book that is meant to help both parent and child find the words to honestly and openly discuss death. It's a brilliant concept. In addition, Dr. Matza has an educational website that provides resources related to understanding, coping, and accepting death. That website is, you guessed it, every the number one dies.org. One last quick note. I was so intrigued with Dr. Matza's simple and brilliant explanation about how to talk to children about death that I decided to do the same with my children. If you are a Patreon subscriber, this week's Patreon episode, which will be released on Friday, has me and my two children talking about death and discussing Dr. Matzo's explanation, how they feel about it, and more. I would love you to subscribe to the Patreon for just $5 a month. You get an extra three to four bonus episodes about things that really excited me that I didn't quite get to finish discussing during the podcast. Thanks for listening. All right. So 
I am here with Dr. Marion Matzo, and we were in the middle of a conversation about changing last names. So I had a huge debate about it because mm -hmm. um, we met in graduate school. And so a part of me kind of wanted to be Dr. Callen, like my dad, who's a, a rheumatologist. Uh, and in retrospect, that's all the wrong reasons to go to a PhD program because it's a pain in the ass. It's an awful lot of work. I know, but I had a lot of Freudian stuff going on. Um, but um, I did decide to do it because we started dating our, our first date was on uh, two days before 9-11, like the 9-11. And so I literally started dating him my first week of graduate school. And also it was important to him. And so uh, now it's cool because we live in a small town and his mom was a teacher here for several years and his dad is a volunteer firefighter. And so I get to throw that around like it's a power tool. <laughs> cool. If it works, babe. Oh, I mean, there you go. But I agree. Mm -hmm. But um, but thankfully, uh, you can stalk anyone online. So there you go. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Dr. Matsu and I have started on such a happy note that now we get to talk about death, which is important. <laughs> um, interestingly, I I actually have my mom's best friend's son um, in 2014. He abruptly um got very sick fell into a coma never woke up you know we I, we went through this whole process and um we had also just lost my mother-in-law and then two days after we buried my mother-in-law I had to put my cat to sleep so it was a very bizarre three month six month period of time um and uh yes nope Friday my daughter is at a uh, was at a performing arts camp and I had had a dream about this friend, Brian, who passed, um, passed, he, he, he died, he fucking died and not very well. And he ended up in hospice and then it took his parents forever to take him off life support. And it took him, them forever to, it, and then it took him forever to die. And it was just comically horrific. And, um, you know, he was, there's math involved here, but let's say we were around 35, 36 when he passed. So it was very, you know, um, but um, Friday, a few days ago, we were driving back from my daughter's play and I had just had a dream about Brian, which is just odd. Um, and then we were stopped at a light and I looked to my right and I was like, that's the hospice and it's an hour from my house it's yellow it's like it makes a mark on you and I couldn't see the sign and so I had to ask my kids I'm like does that sign say hospice and they're like yeah why and so then we explained mm -hmm. um but um you chose to make well you have a PhD in geron gerontology right. it's better make it sound better Gerontology. Okay. It sounds just like you. <laughs> okay. But you sounded more confident, so. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and you obviously specialize in palliative care. And for those who don't know, it's essentially the, I'm going to say practice of helping people to cope with impending death. Actually, that's not what palliative care is. Oh, thank you. I'm pleased to know that I'm wrong and not at all embarrassed because um, I knew with the minute I opened my mouth, it was going to be a, not good. So tell me. 
So palliative care is pain and symptom management for people with life-threatening or life-limiting illnesses. It starts at the time of diagnosis. So you don't have to be dying. You just have to be really, really sick um, in order to receive palliative care services. And it's a specialty in terms of, you know, we are experts in pain and symptom management. That's what we do. We don't treat cancer. We don't treat other illnesses in the cancer center where I worked. We had our own clinic and we saw every type of cancer from the entire, you know, from the entire cancer center. We didn't specialize. Um, we focus on helping people be comfortable and hospice is one piece of that. And that's like the last six months. So in the United States, hospice is a benefit. It's an insurance benefit. And it's right. set up that you have less than a six-month prognosis. Your doctor has to order it. There are rules about it. And there's stuff you get. You know, there's specific things that you get with that benefit. Um, so you want to think about palliative care starts at the time of diagnosis. And it might be a lot of curative care and a little bit of palliative care. And then depending on how things go, that balance can change. And so what you want to think about is how do you, um, how, how, do you ex how, do you, how do you explain that to people so that they understand you know, we're gonna give you these palliative care services. It doesn't mean that you're dying. It just means that you might have uncontrolled pain or you might be losing a lot of weight or whatever. So hospice is that end of life period and palliative right. care is what all the stuff that comes before that. So I didn't mean to, um, as if to say palliative care equals hospice, hospice, but I did not realize that palliative care starts at the time of diagnosis and also doesn't mean you're dying. So that's really helpful to me. And I feel like I'm, I don't know how many, uh, my, my listeners are largely, you know, educated, slightly sweary, women working, <laughs> juggling. I like to say juggling chainsaws or, you know, mm -hmm. side hustles or interests, whatever it is. Um, and so I think we're all over pretty smart. Um, uh, and, obviously this is your specialty so you get to know more but you know but it's um it's interesting i never realized the distinction um but i also have a patient who um has stage 4 cancer has had it twice and she um you know there's a, 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 a she has a, an expiration date as she likes to call it you know um just due to the circumstances and you know uh well well everyone has an expiration date excellent I mean, point excellent point that's excellent. part of what we um do is that we we would like to pretend as as human beings and as americans in particular because not every country is is like this we like to pretend that death is optional yeah and that you know if we're going to get an Ill illness we're going to we're going to fight it and we're going to win. And it's like, fight away, you know, fight away. Um, take the, take treatment, do what you can, but you're not 
going to not die. Something is going to end all of our lives because we are mortal beings. Living things are mortal beings. You know, dogs, plants, whatever. Humans, we're all mortal. So it's not an option. We all have an expiration date. We don't know when that is. It, it, it It could be an hour from now. Yeah. We don't know. And so given that that's true, we need to think about, I think we need to think about how are we living our lives? Yeah. Um, we always say at everyone dies, you know, which is our podcast and our book. We always say every day is a gift. And are you thinking about, are you mindful about what you're doing every day? Are you mindful about how you talk to people? in terms of what if that is the last conversation you have? I agree. It could be, it could be, we don't know. I agree a hundred percent. And in yoga, we like to say um, the best, like growing older is the best option. You know, uh, I'm sure we say it more eloquently, but um, but that stuck with me um, when I was going through all of this, you know, um, this stuff with, everyone dying or, you know, leaving. And so, um, but it's true, you're right, we all do. And especially as Americans, we have this denial and, um, and also a sort of disconnect with our ancestors and, um, and all of these things. But what I really wanna know, you've done so many amazing things, by the way. I, I, uh, I, you wrote a book for um, children, everyone dies. You also wrote, you know, like a very badass um, academic textbook on palliative care, which I appreciate because I'm a dork for research. So fine. Um, you have a podcast and uh, where you cover, which I just looked, you know, as we were talking before the show, like a variety of, of topics. The last one was like about CBD and, you know, um, medical marijuana, which I great. Let's look into that, you know, because I do think for some people, I do think it's the answer and I like, I just don't want my kids having it because, you know, whatever, not for today, but they'll be great when they get old enough and try it on their own. It's going to help. Well, but if they, if they had like a seizure condition and that was 100%. the only thing that was going to work, then oh yeah, yeah. You know, we need, we need to understand what, what are their options? What are our options for whatever it is that's ailing us and make informed decisions, you know, I, my goal is that people are educated consumers. Um, we have all kinds of books about what to expect when you're expecting, you know, for that beginning part of growing your baby and what to expect the first six months and what to expect the first year. But we don't want to talk about what is the end like? What yeah. can the end be like? What parts of it can you control in terms of decision making and things like that ahead of time, what choices are available to you? You know, I get e- emails all the time from listeners, you know, Facebook listeners who say, I agree, you know, with that this content needs to be talked about, but I hate the name of it. I don't want to be reminded. And it's like, you know, I think it's important that. Wait, what's the name of it? What's the name of it? 
so our podcast is called Everyone Dies. So what? So and it great. And it and it can be found at edery the number one dies.org. So it's every the number one dies.org. And people I don't know what they want me to call it. I don't know how they want me to sugarcoat it. It's still called death. You don't, you can call it tomato and it's the same thing. So, well, except people, you know, how, but Lindsay, how often do you say they died as opposed to they passed? I know you heard me, right. You heard me correct myself. And the reason is. Right. And and, but even with your dog or the cat or was the cat, it was my cat. You said, you said, the cat, you, did you put say you put to sleep. sleep? I did. Okay. So the cat gets put to sleep. People pass. Um, we don't just say the words, so, you know, let's, yeah. let's be clear about what we're talking about. Let's be clear about what's happening because especially with children, you use too many words and they're going to make up their own little story to go with it. Sure. I agree. Birth is this, death is this, and life is, you know, what happens in between, right? Right. But so we, so I will say the reason I corrected myself with you is because, um, and actually someone I should put you in touch with is this woman, um, uh, Christina uh, Wallinger. And Christina gave birth to a baby that had, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it now because I, I interviewed her like three years ago, but uh, trichromosomal 25 something. The point is this baby was not going to live. And she mm. found out when she was pregnant, she's very religious and, um, She's also very amazing. And she chose to give birth to the baby anyway. And um, she made a point of teaching me to say those words. And so honestly, somehow the cat is, is the thing that I've pinned on all the sadness that occurred in that time. And mm-hmm. so even now I'm, you know, I've got this sadness. And then when I speak with there was a long time where I couldn't speak with a patient who had lost an animal and not, you know, get teary and or use bullshit words rather than just saying the animal died. Um, Christina taught me better and I should be doing better, but it's that cat that gets me every time because it was like the last thing. Well, and you know, we've, we have a few podcasts on pet death. Wow. I mean, we don't, we don't limit stuff. Which is great. No, I was looking. It's amazing. I mean, I skimmed it, obviously, but um, I'm very excited to listen after we talk because it is important. You know, my mother-in-law died in 2013 and my son was 2008 to 2013. Let's say five, because that sounds about right. And my math stinks. Um, And so we had to wake him up and tell him you know, and we couldn't send him to school because she had been a, she had been a teacher for so long and her best friend was his kindergarten teacher that year. And Mm -hmm. we couldn't send him to school because we couldn't risk someone else telling him. And, and it was out of nowhere, like literally like, um, and so we had to really figure out how to do it. My husband and I are both shrinks and the only thing we sort of agreed on was like the buried in the ground thing was a bit much for five, you know? So tell me, tell me, Lindsay, what you told him. 
Um, so we said, um, listen, last night, grandpa told us and called us and said that um, grandma had gotten very sick at while they were out. We didn't tell them where because it was the local library. And so we didn't want to like ruin that for them. And I'm a reader and a writer and we're there all the time. And so we didn't tell them that part. Um, but my psychic 11 year old or nearly 11 year old always when we go to the library mentions grandma, which is weird because she was like three when she died. Um, but so um, we told them that, you know, grandma, grandpa had to rush grandma to the hospital or they had to call an ambulance and um you know and my husband probably said grandma didn't make it or something very er-esque um you know the one thing we were clear on was i hope we didn't say that she was in a better no we didn't say that she was in a better place because that sounds like shite if you ask me um and also there was no preparation you know, um, and so like we had spoken to grandma that day. And so the few things that we, the, they obviously went to the, um, the funeral, like the, they went to the ceremony and then they went to the funeral, but they stayed in the car with my best friend for the actual burial because we just didn't know how they would react to the in the ground part. Um, and as, you know, Jews, we don't, cremate, which probably isn't any better having to explain, you know. Um, but so we had a five-year-old and a three-year-old and we did use, we'd always spoken to them like they were adults. We never baby talked to our children, you know. Um, we answered every question pretty honestly. And so they've been pretty honest and blunt with us like announcements of pubic hairs were made and like you know um so I don't think at the time we sugar-coated it we tried maybe child I always called it a penis and a vagina I never made up a, a garbage word for it because you know that's not helping and so I'd like to think I felt the same way about death although at the time um there were like two things that we didn't want to tell them which was like the where and the um, in the ground part. And other than that, we didn't have any answers because this happened out of the blue. There was no autopsy done. And to this day, we don't know what exactly it was. Um, you know, so I don't know. I'm pretty clear with my kids, but probably I also suffer from the same human faults that everyone else does, right? So, you know, I work as a nurse practitioner for, 43 years and um, probably the last 25 in, in hospice and palliative care. And I've been in the position of having to talk with children about yeah. what's going on with dad or mom or whatever. And um, I have a very simple way Tell me, please. I, I want to know my listeners. A very, a very simple language that is used always. And I have two daughters. They're um, 24 and 25 now. And they still use the same language to talk about that. Good. And so what I said to them 
was that things, people, animals, living things die for one of three reasons. They die because they're very, very hurt, very, very sick, or very, very old. And the very, very part is very, very important because we're all sick, old, and hurt at some point in our life. But there's a difference between those things and being very, very. And very, very is one of the reasons, is the reason why people die. And Which so. So perfect and beautiful and poignant. And now I have happy, sad tears in my eyes. So congrats. <laughs> my job here is done. I know. <laughs> but, but question like, so how would I, I love this as an explanation for 99.99%. I just happened to have a mother-in-law who was fine. It supposedly the day but before. She got very, very sick. Okay. There is there is no other reason yeah. why people die. No. 100%. And um and actually I did it, I did an interview with a five-year-old who wanted to know about why people die. So oh for God. is that on your podcast? podcast? That's fantastic. Yes. And his name is, he's William V from Massachusetts. Of course he's and, from Massachusetts with a name like that. <laughs> right. And he loves going to like the, um, the American revolutionary reenactments and stuff that they do there. So we, he wanted to know why people died. So I gave him my explanation. He said, yeah, but now what about he says, you, you forgot one. He says, people, people can die from bayonets. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're right, William V. People can die from bayonets. But <laughs> the bayonet makes them very, very hurt. Right. And that's why they die. I also love oh, that because he uh, says. on my, like, my Crimes of Long Island podcast, we have to discuss a bayonet. And I was like, my knowledge and my co-host knowledge are vastly different. I had to explain football to him. He had to explain a bayonet to me. And so like, <laughs> I, you know, um, but that's a fantastic five-year-old question. I'm definitely going to listen to that episode. And I'm with your permission. I'd like to post that episode in the show notes because I think it's really would hit home with my audience. And also yeah. it's fantastic. Um, he, he, was, he was great. He was great. But the point is, you know, like simple. My, grand, make it my grandson, I have a picture in my room that a friend of mine had painted for me of my dog from 20 years ago. And I have this like rogues gallery of paintings and stuff up on, on the wall. And we're FaceTiming. And he says, what's that? Who's that? I said, oh, that's Lincoln. That was my dog. He says, well, where is he? I said, oh, he's dead. Why, why is he dead? I said, oh, he was very, very old. He was yeah. like 15 years old. He said, oh, all right. And we moved on. The, the, it's, they get it. And he's uh, yeah. only, he was only four at the time. You know, I, okay, I can understand that. That's what happens. It's normal. You know, our book is called Everyone Dies. Oops, let's see. Everyone Dies. And yes, it's normal. Yeah. And the story, the story comes from, our grandson, we're at the beach and this, this whole conversation. 
And he goes running to his father. His father was someplace else. And then, you know, we met up with him on the beach and he shows him this crab claw that he had found. And his dad says to him, oh, where's, where's the rest of the crab? Did it swim home to its mom? And Jax looked at him, you know, and this, you know, his dad is like this six foot something, you know, Marine. <laughs> and he looks, he looks at his dad. He says, no, daddy's dead. <laughs> and the dad kind of looks at me like, <laughs> who's, he been who's he been talking to? <laughs> so one of the reasons I think that's so fantastic is because, um, um, this is horrible, but fine. We're talking death anyway. So um, a few years ago, there was a boy in my town. And again, I say small town. It's not that it's a small town. It's that it's a people grow up here, then they leave and then they come back here. And so like it becomes a small town where everyone knows everyone. And so mm -hmm. um, uh, in fact, on my other podcast, when we had podcasted about a death that happened here, we started getting a lot of pushback from people who were like, don't talk about it. Meanwhile, there's probably 500 podcasts out there that have covered this topic. It's not a private thing. But um, but so um, my, there was this boy who was a, in his freshman year of high school and he committed suicide. And um, mm -hmm. my, this was right before school started and my kids were due to start both it happened on like a Friday and then we found out on a Saturday and the kids were going to start Hebrew school on Sunday and then school on Monday. And my son was in sixth grade and my daughter was in third. And with my son, especially, I had this concern that he was going to find out. And so um, we were at, uh, Adventureland, which is like a, you know, exactly what it sounds like. It's like hell for parents and heaven for kids. <laughs> There's like cotton candy and a lot of money to be wasted on crappy prizes. And so my, um, when we were in the car on the way home, I started talking to the kids. I was like, listen, I have to tell you about something. Uh, and my husband had agreed that this made sense. And I said, um, there's this boy who died and he's in high school and, um, he committed suicide and my daughter goes was it one of your patients because we had sort of not the death part but the mental health part had so been like you know less so with my husband who deals with sex offenders but at least with me in terms of like I was working a lot with suicidal patients at the time and so we discussed this and this was an open thing and so her first question wasn't like how which I think human curiosity and you know is somewhat morbid but also like was he yours you know and so mm -hmm. um similarly it's I agree like the way you raise children and like you know and um we sort of normalize seeing the shrink and see you know dealing with that and um you know it just so happens my one of my children's shrinks is also one of my other children's two friends shrinks. And so we run into each other at the parking lot and say hi. And so, um, you know, and so I think when you normalize something in your family, it's doing a great service, I, I mm -hmm. think, you know. Yeah, um, I think so too. And giving like all these gifts. Um, okay, I wanna know what personally, if something personal drew you to palliative care slash 
death talk. See, that's using the word. Or if it was, you know, was there a personal tragedy or did you just notice a lapse? Lapse, lack, lack, lapse. And... Um, when I was in graduate school, working on my PhD, I was, one of the first projects we had in a research class was a group research project about long-term care funding because I was a, was a PhD in gerontology but in, in the school of um, social policy at the right. University of Massachusetts. But wait, but, and, but also something made you go into gerontology. Um, I, I've always kind of really enjoyed old people and okay. talking to them and I'm naturally nosy and so I would love to love to hear stories about the past or other things I've just I don't know I've I've always really just enjoyed older okay. people and back when I I'm a gerontological nurse practitioner and I graduated from that program in 1985 and I was really interested in, in gero psych which didn't exist at the time and so I wrote all my papers you know about psychological aspects but there was no program there's programs now um and so then when I went for my PhD program we had this group project and so I we had to interview people so one of the people I interviewed I, it was about, do you have long-term care insurance? And what she said to me was, um, Jack Kevorkian is my long-term care provider. Wow. And I, and this was, you know, the day of Kevorkian. And I said, tell me more about that. Yeah. And, and her feeling was, is that there are fates that are worse than death. And that for her going into a nursing home would be a fate worse than death. And I then throughout like the rest of the, you know, the, the class part of it that I don't know that just really stuck with me is like, well, what are the fates that are worse than death? And when it came time to do my dissertation, I was like, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but that kept ringing in my head. And I thought, and then a study came out by Zeke Emanuel where he um, surveyed New England um, oncology physicians about physician-assisted death. Yeah. Again, this is, you know, in, back in the early 90s. This is back in the day. And I, I read that study and I thought, yeah, but what do nurses do? Because I'm a nurse and I right, know sure. that the doctors aren't at the bedside and the doctors aren't the doctors with show people to, when they're dying. Right, right. They show up to catch it's, the baby, as I, as I was told. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the nurse. Right. So I thought, well, what are nurses doing? And there were all kinds of articles about what do nurses think about it, but nothing, nothing about what do nurses do? So I contacted Zeke Emanuel and I said, can I tweak the questions of saying doctor, say nurse, and get a parallel sample of New England oncology nurses. Fantastic. And then compare them so the to your doctors. Yeah. Which is what I did. And Zeke and I published a paper 
And one of the findings in there was one was that nurses were five times more likely to assist a death than physicians were. Wow. Now, and this was thoroughly, you know, completely anonymous. The survey came back separately and the postcard came back separately as to I finished it. But the other thing was, is there were pages of comments that people wrote and we had like a, what was a 73% return rate, which is unheard of. It's, in, it's phenomenal, especially, right. right? So it really resonated. Right. My dissertation was, was also research-based, not as groundbreaking, but I understand how tough it is, but 73% is amazing. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. So, but in reading through comments and in, and in analyzing the data, one of the things that I found was that the nurses who said, yeah, I've assisted a death, I've helped, I've taken an act to specifically end a person's life at the patient's request. The people who said yes were the young nurses. They weren't the older nurses. They weren't the more experienced nurses. And it made me wonder, is it because the more experienced nurses have more tools in their tool belt in terms of providing you know, pain and symptom management sure. than these younger nurses who are like, crap, I don't know what to do. So My guess is no, but I'm really excited to hear what the answer is. I don't know, because that wasn't the question, you know, but it was, it, I mean, I didn't anticipate. Oh, I was, so you had your question. You had your question. Yeah, I, right. I didn't know what I was going to find. It was like, here's, so what's, what's going on with these younger nurses? Well, then um, in, wait, in there, by, by the way, for, for our, wait, for our non PhD slash society listeners, they say that you shouldn't get your doctorate unless you have a burning question in your soul. And I did not. And you came up with one and I came up with one halfway through my dissertation that is still a burning question, but I'm not going to solve it. So, you know, but you had your question is what I mean. Like, it's exciting. Like why? Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, I guess probably maybe if I hadn't gotten pregnant or whatever, I would have figured out why. But, you know, I got pregnant had, you know, my first baby at age 39. And I'd gotten this thing from the Soros Foundation. Wait, which were... by the way, was a different time. And so amazing. Like I had my first at 30 and that there were two women I worked with who were having their first at 40. So it was nothing. It was just common. But yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, I waited. Um, Good. <laughs> But I got the, I was, I can remember this so clearly because I got this thing, I was reading a nursing journal and, and, and breastfeeding my baby. And I'm, you know, because God forbid I should do one thing at a time. I no, no. Oh my God, there's so many things you can do while do breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we could talk about that. So um, there was this thing about from the Soros Foundation where they were looking for people who were willing to work on what was called the Project on Death in America. It was new thing that George Soros was funding to change a culture of death and dying in our country and I read it and I thought man that that would be phenomenal because I hadn't much before that I mean I defended my dissertation like five months before I had the baby so um I thought then that'd be great but I have a new baby I work full-time there's no way I can do that and I threw the journal away and um it was in the upstairs bedroom the 
it didn't get emptied right away. And it kept staring at me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I pulled it out of the garbage can and I looked at it again. I thought, well, you know, I could do this. <laughs> so I made the finals and I, I, I was stunned. And they flew me to New York for the interview. And it was like an incredible thing. And I got this phone call that I'd been accepted as a faculty scholar. And this was the third group that they had funded. They fund 10 people a year. I was wow. in this third group. As the first nurse they ever funded. Everyone else had been a physician. It's amazing. And so and I hung up the phone. Good, yeah. <laughs> and so I hung up the phone. I thought, man, how cool is this? And the phone rang again. And I thought, oh, you must have forgot to tell me something. Pick up the phone. It was my GYN. She said, uh, you're pregnant. Oh my like, God. That's what? my worst nightmare. <laughs> The baby was five months old and I was pregnant again at, you know, 40 years old, but God forbid, I wasn't going to turn down the opportunity. Oh, I'm so happy that this is the way this goes because I was like, (laughs) I was going to totally understand. And also, you know, uh, we are multitasking breastfeeders. Like my, um, my two best friends had their children three weeks after same day three weeks after my daughter was born and so like we would sit on the phone we would breastfeed and text and so um we haven't seen them because of covid and so they came over and and i said to we you know after a cocktail or two i said to like both kids i was like if either of you end up with like cancer like brain cancer is probably because of our cell phone usage during that time because god forbid you do one thing at a time but i'm so glad so you took the opportunity i did and it it was life-changing and incredible and very very smart of george soros to to fund that because we were doing an abysmal job of end of life care and um, we've gotten much better, but we, we still have work to do. And so when I retired, what I wanted, what I wanted to focus on was public education. Which is fantastic. Because th- yeah. throughout my whole career, I'd done professional education and You also really, did I, public education in 2006. You did, uh, no, no, 2006, you got a grant. Previously to that, you did a sh- the Shawl Project. Oh, which I thought was brilliant. Okay, yes, hardcore Google search. But I thought it was brilliant because what you <laughs> did was encourage people. I know people always love when I pull something out of from like, you know. Um, I don't, re- hold on, I'll tell you the year, but you may know the year, but I stopped you well. Two th- oh, it was March, 2006, I was correct. Yeah, um, and sounds, then sounds in April, you got more funding, right? So, um, which you encourage people to either knit or contribute materials or some, some, some way, shape or form, which if you think about it, uh, I want to say knitting is something everyone can do. I can't, I tried to learn while pregnant thinking like it would make me a better mother. when the baby came. <laughs> Oh, it does. You, you must be a terrible mother. If you can't knit. I'm just I mean, well, exactly. This is, <laughs> listen, I became a psychologist for a reason, you know, like, cause clearly I'm too hard on myself, but, um, but so I love this idea because there's a practical that I, you know, concept here of like, when people are dying, they get cold, they lose blood circulate, you know, like give them something. There's also just the idea of a, a 
comforting blanket. And there's people who have lost loved ones or are losing ones, giving them something active to do. You know, I actually participated in, um, uh, a journalist was looking for a source on like knitting and, um, meditation slash mindfulness. And I was like, I can put that up. I can, I can justify that. (laughs) So, you know, look, you know, there Mm -hmm. you go. And so when I found this, it really stuck out and it was just such a wonderful, that's community involvement. That's Mm -hmm. giving someone who's suffering something to do with themselves. So, um, plus, plus palliate means to cloak. Oh, so, you know, like, so if you think about like, um, you know, people say, oh, that put a pall over things or that covering that they put over the casket is called a pall, P-A-L-L. Or a pall bearer. Um, That's, that's, that's the origin is, is to cloak, to cover. And so I thought as a literal and, you know, Yeah. yeah, and we had, such involvement and people donating yarn and it just I mean it was like this little cottage industry up in my office (laughs) it was incredible but I think it's so lovely and like I saw it you know I was googling you and you know I have lots of expert sources I could probably tell you your fifth grade boyfriend but we'll save that for another time but you know like I I was like this is so just it's it really is beautiful because it gives someone something to do and whether mm-hmm. someone you love is dying or you know you just someone you love die it just gives you eight thousand ways to help tackle this right so right um i i think you've done so much and 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 ending on this note feels like stupid because you like you're doing so much more um but um as we said everything is going to be in the show notes and um, I am going to start listening to your podcast in small doses because I'm still sort of a baby, but the fact that we had this scheduled and that I had a dream about my, you know, deceased childhood friend, deceased did it again, okay. And then um, also the fact that, you know, I happened to pass by the, um, uh, the hospice that, he did in fact die at makes me think that perhaps the signs of the world align in a way that says Lindsay you got to get your shit together because people are going to die and you got to get ready to provide better comfort um well also I think we have a responsibility to our children and to our society um to deal with death. I mean, think about all the people who've died. I mean, I don't want to get political, but think about all the people who died from COVID and who are continuing to die. Do we have a national day of mourning for these hundreds of thousands of people who Can died? Can we have a different day for people who wore masks and people who did not? I want to get political apparently, sorry. Uh, it's your show, baby, you do what you want. No, no, but, but, but you're right. The thing you're is, right. is that we don't acknowledge we don't acknowledge that but it may be too soon the, how is it how is it too soon i it's don't know been a year and a half of people dying and they keep dying and they keep dying and so you know like i grew up during the vietnam war and we would watch you know walter cronkite and i know you're, you're thinking oh my god she is like so freaking old i can't even stand it But we would watch Walter Cronkite and they would put on the news 
those caskets being unloaded out of the airplane. It was in your face. You saw it. You knew the death toll. So I'm in, I'm in New York. I'm in New York. So like we were like, remember they, they had to bring up barges of ships to take the dead. And my family in Florida could not understand why I was being neurotic about like keeping my kids home or whatever. So I, I'm in agreement. And also thinking about this now, um, the first anniversary of 9-11, we read the names. So you're right. Why aren't we talking about this? And I think the answer is a political one. Well, or it could be we are a death denying society. And so, so we are a death denying society. 100%, let's, yeah. let's pretend that there's not, what is it up to now? 600,000. I don't even you know, know what the current total is. Let's pretend that all these people are dead. Right. Also, are you we know, like, the, you know they, they're, they're, they're not dead. You know, like people, I see people say, oh my God, they can't find workers for this. They can't find workers for that. Do we ever stop to think that a lot of our workforce has died? Nope. Do we I ever think, stop nope. to think about that the, the people who got COVID and now are long haulers in terms of the COVID disease and, nope. and choose sick to work? Do we think that, you know, that that's, there's, there's a connection there? No, we don't, because it's much easier for us to blame people than to accept death. And that's- Or to say it's political. Well, maybe, but, but lots of stuff is political. That doesn't mean that we should ignore it and not address it. I agree a hundred percent. And especially like, again, at 9-11, we, there was no political. We were all in this together. And that's why- you know, the reading of the names and that's why. And so um, you're right, something has to be done. And when you said 600, I don't, I can't remember. I kind of blocked it out probably, but I can't remember if like at one point in the last summer, I put together a calendar where I took my kids Barbies and put them in all sorts of like COVID situations. <laughs> No one ever bought my calendar, but it was a great distraction. <laughs> and so um, I don't really care because I did it on one of these sites where like you have to order it in order for me to like spend any money or whatever, whatever it was. Like I was losing my mind and no one knew what the future held. So this is what I did. And so <laughs> that's just, that's a real interesting way to cope. I just got to I have heard really that one. bizarre coping skills. Okay. <laughs> like everything's going to shite let's investigate a murder like, you know, like this is but this is what I do and but you're right like why aren't we doing anything and the reason is because we're still pretending that COVID doesn't exist and there's still some people that think that the vaccine is our government's way of tracking us which is dumb because we all have cell phones which are literally tracking device okay I just got I, I was in CVS and this woman in front of me was talking to the um the checkout clerk and she and he said something about have you gotten the vaccine she said oh no it was an older woman and i live in oklahoma so we're a very um uh, uh, conservative place and um she said oh no she said you know they they can change your dna with that and i have smart friends that did this they can put in a chip and they can track you and i I have this very weird coping mechanism. Well, I will burst out with the loudest like ah, laugh because 
it's like, what the hell are you? Yeah, doing? I swear that's my coping mechanism. And <laughs> so I'm, you know, six feet back from her laughing. The clerk looks up to me. She turns around, gives me like, you know, if looks could kill, I'd be dead. I would and, have spoken my mind. <laughs> and, and stomps out. And the clerk says, well, you know, well, maybe that could happen. I said, they haven't, they don't have the technology to do that. Well, but maybe they could, you know, maybe, maybe it could affect like cancer or something. I said, they don't have the technology to do that. I'm so happy to hear you saying that because like, really, if they could affect cancer, wouldn't they have affected cancer and not, okay. And there's people who say, oh, but people make so much money from us having cancer. Well, some people, some people may, but we also as a society lose people who can't work because they're too sick and getting treatment and dying from cancer. You know, they're not around to pay their taxes or to work or, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't make sense. But, None you know, of it makes sense. And it's all crazy. Know. And I agree with you. I feel yeah. like if we as a society would better address this issue of COVID deaths, and we've gotten totally off, but I'm fine with it. It like, maybe we could be a little more realistic about. Um... Well, why don't we publish all the names, you know, like in the New York Times, you know, they're talking now about there's this major nursing shortage because with the first wave of COVID, nurses worked so many hours in horrific conditions yeah. where patients, multiple patients died every one of their shifts, okay? But we didn't have a vaccine. We didn't have a cure. So doggone it, we're nurses. We're gonna go in, we're gonna do it now. And we had what, I don't know, was it? 4,000 nurses die from this. Now we have a vaccine and we're surging again. Now nurses and doctors are pissed. You know. I know, but you know what? Hmm. My, my husband works in an inpatient mental health uh, facility and the patients are vaccinated with a greater um, percentage, to a greater percentage than the employees. The yeah, mentally but, ill patients are agreeing to get vaccinated more than the. But employees. they're not. They're not medically sick in that facility. Is that correct? No, it's not. But also the fact that the people that are the employees are not getting vaccinated is disturbing. It is disturbing. I'm not it's saying so, it's an. I'm not saying this is the a whole, broad based. I'm just kind saying. of the whole thing is disturbing. I know. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> I am going to stop recording so we can say goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, and if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>